0: Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress.
1: Are you guys excited to be here this morning? So y'all think I forgot the mover's card, didn't you? Didn't you? Those of you here every Sunday thinking, "Nah, I'm coming back to it. Danny, will you show this video? It's going to set the stage for what we're going to talk about this morning.
0: We believe in the overthrowing of darkness in high places over our country. Lifting a banner of truth and love, opening eyes, giving sight to the blind, the miraculous. We've been given power and authority to overcome hate with love, fear with faith, depression with hope. The Prince of Peace, the Lord of Hosts, the Alpha and Omega stands at the gates of our city, calling out for the children to arise and possess their rightful place as sons and daughters of the Most High. We are not one, we are many. We are not weak, we are strong. We are not afraid, we are bold. Knowing his voice, standing in his purpose, giving our hearts and minds to answer his call, to proclaim his freedom, to announce his victory, to proclaim his glory to a world sick with immorality, poisoned with lies, confused, hurting, beaten, broken. We hold the keys to unlocking their prisons. United in love, we will shout down the walls of division, hear the trumpets of mercy blow, a sound of many rushing waters flow as the marching of feet as into the ends of the earth we go as ambassadors of the king of kings we declare this is our city this is our nation we are the children of god his hands and his feet his heart and his beat. jehovah our leader we are his bride as he races to meet her. we speak a message of greater hope and faith Seek can knock on the doors and the gates believe what you ask for the lord is not fake he will pour out his riches for his own name's sake This is the quest, this is the call. Some of us might die now, some of us might fall, but fear of failure will never stop us from giving our all. Awake, all you giants, you lions, you lambs, now is the time, the moment at hand. Glory unveiled as we take back our land. Dear sweet America, no longer will you slumber, being seduced by the lies of an unfaithful lover. You'll rise to your purpose, your queen, your mother, for now is the time to be a light to your sisters and brothers.
1: Cities. We, we love cities. Uh, have you ever recognized that people are attracted to cities? You know, I grew up in a little bitty town, West Oklahoma. And and, and as much as I love my hometown, in fact, it's my 25th high school reunion coming up this summer, so you'll probably see me, like, muscling all up and, 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 like, getting hair implants here in the next couple months because you got to go look good at your high school. No, I'm not going to do all that. Uh, I love the town I grew up in, but I don't know that I would want to move back. Uh, There was was nowhere to eat except Sonic, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and Mazios and Hardee's. That was it. And so, uh, you know, and and it's just not the, I like the city. People are attracted to the city. They're attracted to a city because of the activities, because of the access, because of the atmosphere. Some are attracted because of the bright lights. Some are attracted to the nightlife. Whatever it is, we like the cities. Right now, we love our city uh, because of... uh, Uh, of the sports activities that are going on, and uh, we're excited until last night. We were excited anyway uh, about that. But what I am reflecting on in my own spirit is that in the New Testament, the Bible says that Jesus came up over the crest of a hill and saw a city called Jerusalem and, in fact, loved that city and was so moved by that city and had so much compassion on that city that he literally wept over the city. I I wonder if maybe he wept uncontrollably. We've only seen him cry in two places. He cried in the Garden of Gethsemane where his tears became, his sweat became like blood. I wonder if maybe it was another instance like that where he was so moved in his spirit by compassion over the fact that the city was full of people that were going to hell and it crushed him in his spirit. I want to embrace that city and we love our city and I wonder if We love it that much. I wonder if we've been moved to that place where we don't just root for our city and we just don't enjoy our city and we just don't love our city, but we actually pray for our city. When is the last time that you literally spent time in prayer for your city? I believe with all of my heart that we have an inheritance that God has ordained for our church, for this group of people, for the group of people people that are in Bethany, that God has handpicked us and established us. Why would he go through the effort? Why would he allow us to, to gather people? Why would his presence fill this place? Why would he bring the giftings that he's brought together? If he didn't have a plan, if he didn't have a purpose, if he didn't have a design for us to impact our community and go beyond and impact our city and impact our state and our nation and our world. Is God that small-minded that he just thought that, oh, i got to get 200 people together on the north side and get 60 or 70 people and hang on on the Bethany side? No, God is bigger than that. He brought us together for a purpose and a plan. So you'll remember last uh, two weeks ago, I challenged you in the beginning of this new series called Cities that we must become the cities of refuge. I declared to you that God let your anointing go with them right now in the name of Jesus and let them have revival on the Bethany campus. Amen. That's my heart. That's got to happen. Bless you guys. Thank you for coming and checking on us this morning. Amen. I just am convinced of this, that God has called us to be the cities of refuge. And I'm going to go back to that and explain what that was. But you will remember that I challenge you that we must become prominent. That means that Jesus must become elevated in our life. And then we get nervous when people start talking like this. I'm not asking you to drink funky Kool-Aid this morning. all right? Uh, I just want you to understand that Jesus is in love with his church. In fact, I'm sick of people bashing the church. I'm sick of preachers bashing the church. I'm sick of hurt Christians bashing the church because they evidently don't understand that Jesus loved the church so much that he literally gave his life for the church. Therefore, if Jesus is prominent and he was willing to give his life, then I can stand here with a little bit of twinge of nervousness nervousness, thinking that y'all think I'm calling y'all to some kind of cult where instead I want to say it like our church must become prominent in your life. Because if it's not, then what you're saying is I don't really care about what Jesus died for. I'm preaching right now. Some of you, church is an afterthought. If I don't have lake plans, I know summer's coming. If I don't have a ball game to watch, we, oh, checking to see who's here. Uh, we got folks that skip church to go watch the thunder play. Give me a break. When was the last time the thunder died to save your life? We only meet one, one, one day a week, and we can afford to miss it? Give me a break. It's got to become prominent in our life. We've got to become positioned so that people can find us. We've got to become prepared so that people, when they find us, really, I need to swap that phrasing. When we find them, they will find people prepared with prayer and support and love and with grace. Okay, so let's get back into the cities of refuge. The basis, I I told you what we must become. We must become the cities of refuge. Now let me deal why. Why is it so important that we become like the cities of refuge? That's where we're going this morning. I'm going to tell you the why. Numbers chapter 35, verses 10 through 12. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. They will be places of refuge from the avenger so that anyone accused of murder may not die before they stand trial before the assembly. Joshua chapter 20 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. And when they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. So they set apart Northwest Expressway in the flat country of Oklahoma City. And they set apart Bethany in the, a little bit more hilly than Oklahoma City area of Oklahoma. They set apart Kirith Arba. Bethany was easier. That is Hebron in the hill country of Judah. Maybe it should be Piedmont. Maybe it ought to say Bridge Creek. Maybe it ought to say Yukon. Maybe it should say Mustang. Maybe it should say South Oklahoma City. Maybe it ought to say overseas somewhere. Maybe it ought to say somewhere in our world God instructed us to set up cities so that people could flee to them. And then it says any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. Very quickly let me recap to you what's going on. The only laws they had were the laws that Moses had given them. They had no justice system like we do. There was no uh, lawyers or ambulance chasers when there was an accident. They would pull up and say, I'll represent you in a court of law. The law they had was eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. You kill my neighbor, my neighbor's family will kill you. You destroy my life, I'm coming back to get mine. I will destroy you. That is the only system that they had in place, the law of retribution, where I take back and I I'd, I'd inflict on you the pain that you inflicted on me. How many of you know that's not a very good law? Because some of us deserve some retribution. And I'm thankful that God operates in grace instead. Amen. So that was the law. And so God saw the flaw in that law. And he He orchestrated and instructed them to build these cities very quickly. Let me explain. You kill somebody by accident, you would You would head for one of these cities, man, full on sprint. Because if you don't, by the law of the land, if any one of the family members spots you, they are coming to kill you. And so you basically have to be faster than them. You got one day to get to the city, and those cities were positioned so that you could get to one of the cities from anywhere in the country in one day's travel. You would sprint to that city, and you would stand at the gate. And the elders would meet you there, and you would state your case. I accidentally killed so-and-so. And And the elder would say, okay, come on in. We've got room for you. And they they were supposed to stay there until the high priest that was on duty at that time died, and then they could return home. So let me tell you why we must become the cities of refuge. There are very simple, very straightforward reasons, three of them that I want to share with you this morning that are at the crux of why We are doing what we're doing, and why God established this church and you as a people. The first one is this people are looking for safety. If I just need to clue some of you in right now, people are running for their lives. They try to cover it up. That's why they run from run to clubs. That's why they run from relationship to relationship. That's why they are duped into drugs. That's why they make stupid choices. They are simply looking for safety and don't know where to turn. All around us, every day, every moment of our existence, there are people around us running, trying to find safety. Let me bring it home to you. Did you know that in Oklahoma that suicides have risen 12% since 2004? Did you know that there are 15 suicides in Oklahoma for every 100,000 people, which causes Oklahoma to rank 11th nationally? People are running for their lives. Did you know that in Oklahoma, 30 per, 32% of all adults In Oklahoma, have divorced compared to 21% nationally. You wonder why our governor a couple years ago instituted a a commission to help marriages? Because we're higher than the national average. Then you find out that a higher percentage of currently married Oklahomans have thought about divorce. 56% of all Oklahomans that are married adults have contemplated getting a divorce when um, the country as a whole, only 42% have thought about it. People are running for their lives. Did you know that somewhere between 11 to 14% of all 12 to 17-year-olds have used drugs in the last month in the state of Oklahoma? That ought to startle you a little bit. ought to make the parents just a little bit nervous. Did you know that we are in the top 10 states in the United States uh, for that particular issue? We're in the top 10. Did you know that 20% of people 12 and up have been involved in binge drinking in the last month? People are running. For their lives. There's no other reason to do drugs. There's no other reason to get drunk. There's no other reason to run from relationship to relationship. Unless you're not satisfied with what you are in. And whether you are, unless you are totally desperate. And who wakes up in the morning and that's had a great life. Or at least a decent life. Or just a so-so a life and goes, you know what? I think I want to be a drug addict. Hmm, that's a really good future for me. I think I want to drink myself to death. I think I want to be in about 92 different relationships and all that that entails. And when I get married, I think I'm going to divorce every one of them and end up with nine husbands, nine wives. Who does that? People that are running for their lives do that. Hurt people looking for help. There, There's an old country song. I'm not a huge country fan. I like their play on words a lot of times. But there was this old song that says, They're looking for love in all the wrong places. Oh, y'all see y'all revealing how redneck y'all are. So, yeah, and this is what I've determined. The problem is, is that we aren't in the wrong place at the right time. Did y'all catch that? We are not in the wrong place at the right time. They are looking for something. I am declaring to you that we must run to them. We have got to prepare the way for them and go get them and get them into the city. But hear me carefully this morning. Just getting them in the city is not enough. We have to keep them in the city. See, these folks would run to the cities and the elders would allow them to come in. But if they left, if they said, oh, I got errands to run. Oh, I got to go take care of my, my house. I got a farm that need," I can't stay here the rest of my life. And, I, and the high priest is really young this time. And so he's probably going to be around a long time. I got to go, I got to go get my Starbucks. I got to go take care of my kids. I, and they step one foot outside that city, they could be killed instantly. Their only hope was to stay in the city and what I want to say to you this morning is I am thankful for the number of folks that we are hearing reports connected to this church, and I'll give you that report here in just a moment, the number of individuals being saved, but it's not just enough to get them saved. We've got to do our part to keep them saved. We've got to go out of our way to get them involved. Everybody needs a place to run for safety. The law of our land is this, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, dog eat dog. That is the law of this land. And I would say to you that we've got to get to them, and we must come to grips with this fact. I want you to get this into your spirit. You've got to embrace this truth right here, and that is this. If they can't find grace, they can't find life. We've got to run to them. See, people are met with judgment and punishment on every side. These cities were supposed to be grace centers where those who were doomed to destruction could find life. And what I came to just let you in on, a little dirty secret about Christianity, is that that we have wielded such a hard hand on people and we have become so judgmental and vindictive that when people are running for their lives, they don't find grace, they find judgment. And we have become known for what we're against instead of becoming known for what we're for. I came to remind you about what we're for. We are for people. That's what we're for. And I want you to hear me clearly this morning. I need to declare this clearly this morning to you. I am for people. I am for, for loving and dealing with people. I need you to hear this this morning, because this is where we've got to get to. I want you to know we are committed to truth. I will not doctor it up, and neither should you. I will not sugarcoat it, and neither should you. There is black, and there is white. There is wrong, and there is right. There's sin, and there's holiness, and we will call people to move towards the light, move towards the holiness. That is our mission. That is what God has called us to do, but we can't Beat them into doing it. We have to be committed to truth and balance it with grace. We have to be committed to both. That way when they run for their lives and they get to us, we point out the sin of their life, but they understand that we hate the sin, but we absolutely are committed to to loving them and protecting them and wrapping our arms around them and embracing them and inviting them into our family and we'll keep pointing out this is wrong you need to grow in this area you got to mature in this area but we still love you even when you are wrong we love you we got to get there if we're not there now the second thing I would say to you is this people need our savior See, I think that we've forgotten that unless people get to Jesus, or the reality is unless Jesus gets to them, they are going to die and they are going to go to hell. See, we've forgotten that fact. I don't know where we think they're going to go if they don't have an encounter with Jesus. I can't tell you when Jesus is coming back. i got no idea. I just know this. He is coming back. And I don't know how all that works. All I know is that I'm thankful he didn't come back yesterday. You know why? Because there are still a lot of folks that would have busted hell wide open if he had shown up. And I got people in my own life that I want to see saved. And I just came to remind you that people need our Savior. They they need the saving grace of Jesus. That is what we've got to get them. Is it enough that we're saved? Is it enough that your immediate family is saved? Then if the answer is no, then what are you doing about it? Where is the spirit of travail? Where is the spirit of intercession for people that are dying and going to hell? Where are the people that will refuse to go to bed at night before they've gone and won somebody to Jesus because they know if they don't that somebody might actually not make it through the night and may not know Christ and die and go into an eternal punishment. Where is that driving force in us? I just don't see it. In fact, I'll just be honest with you. We can barely muster up enough energy to pray over our movers every Sunday. I'm getting ready to be mean. Where's your card? Where are the people that you're crying out for? I ask y'all to pray for the movers every Sunday, and I think some of you go to sleep during my movers prayer because you've been here every week for over a year now, and we've done that every Sunday. And it's just rote. You don't even have to think about it. You just check out and think, oh, I need to go to the grocery store after church. Do you understand what hangs in the balance When we're praying for our movers, do you understand that at that moment, probably at the greatest moment in any one of the services that we have, we are doing spiritual warfare at that moment. If we haven't at any other moment in our service, we are battling for souls. These people on our list are going to die and go to hell if we don't get them to Jesus. That ought to keep us awake at night, and it certainly ought to keep us awake during our movers' prayer then I, I'll announce to you week after week, I think y'all think I'm making up numbers. Last year, from January 17th to December 31st, we saw 73 individuals. I look around, I go, where are they? Well, we got them in the city. We just didn't work hard enough to keep them in the city. So I'm thankful. I mean, when I announced to you that we saw 73 people give their heart and life to Jesus last year, we ought to go crazy nuts. And then when I tell you that your bulletin says that we've seen 24 say this year only one problem, Saturday happened after I'd printed the bulletin on Thursday. And so last night, Mike took his rap group down to Joseph Harp um, Correctional Facility where it so happens that one of my classmates who killed his mom two weeks before our high school graduation is there for life took his rap group down there, and 10 more people got saved. So the number is wrong. It ought to be 34. There should be some excitement about the fact that somebody got to Jesus. But I think we've forgotten how important that is. I think we've forgotten the fact that if they don't accept Christ, they have no hope. We've become so wrapped up in us. Let me say it like this to you, and maybe it'll drive the point home, and then I'll move on. We've got to become focused on the high priest again. See, these people ran to a city, and they had to stay in that city until the high priest died, and then they could experience life to its fullest. They could come out of the confines of that city and go live a free life. Do y'all not get the fact that the high priest died That is the great news that we have. We have the answer to fullness of life. We have the answer to their ability to experience life and life more abundantly. The the message that should be permeating and coming out of us and escaping from us at Starbucks, at the bank, at the baseball field, while we're driving down the road, while we're cooking hamburgers and hot dogs, is the high priest died so that you could have life And he's taken on your punishment, and he's taken on your judgment, and he's taken on your sin, and therefore we have the greatest message to share in all of the world. We've got to come to grips with that fact again. They don't need anything other than our Savior. That's what they really need. They don't need our opinions. They don't need our rules. They don't need our sympathy. They don't need our finger pointing at them. They don't need our nose stuck up in the air. They don't need any of that. Can I just declare to you this morning that the people that are running for their lives, you know what they need? They need what you've got. The one thing, silver and gold, have I none. What they need is they need for somebody to walk into their life so full of the love and grace of Jesus that they go, I need help, and you go, I got more for you than you can ever imagine. I've got the answer to all your questions, and his name is Jesus. I'm telling you, church, we have got to focus once again on the truth of the high priest. I get concerned. I'm just—I'm being very transparent with you this morning. I get concerned because what we'll do is we'll point fingers at churches that—that's all they talk about. Go, boy, they're shallow. Really? I thought the deepest, tr- deepest truth you could ever find in the entire canopy of scripture is this: God so loved the world that He gave. How much deeper do you actually need to go when you're dying and going to hell? That is going to hell. That is the deepest truth you need to know. If I preach salvation here every Sunday, you know what some of y'all do? You'd go to another church. Because you'd say, well, you're not feeding me. Really? Really. That doesn't feed you? that I was separated from God, that I had no means of getting to Him, that I could try the rest of my life to get to Him, and I would fail, and my life would be lost in eternal flames. If that doesn't feed your soul to know that God loved you so stinking much that He allowed His own Son to be crucified with painful nails and spears and crowns and whip, that doesn't feed you? Then you can't be fed. They need Jesus. The third and final thing that I would say to you is this, that people are being surrendered. Let me explain. The elders would stand at the gate, and these folks would run up and say, this is what happened, and they would hear the charges, and they knew these folks sin, and then they would provide a place for them anyway. It wasn't like the folks were innocent. I mean, they had, in fact, killed someone. There was, in fact, blood on their hands, and yet they would still make room for them. Think about this just a moment. You're minding your own business in your house. The rooster crows, because I know you got an electronic rooster. Your rooster crows, and you get up, And you go to your front door and you open it. The sun is shining. And you look next to you, two houses down, and there is a U-Haul truck pulled up. And you see this guy unloading his stuff into the house. And if we're a city of refuge, then a thought process starts. Hmm. I don't know anything about him except one thing. He's guilty. Think about this now. This was the reality of their life. When somebody moved in next to somebody without ever hearing their story, without ever hearing their experience, they could automatically make the assumption they're guilty. They are murderers. They've got blood on their hands. Can you imagine that? That's where these folks were at. He was a sinner, but now he's my neighbor maybe it would do some of us good to remember our former condition maybe it would help us to recognize that we are nothing if not sinners saved by grace maybe we haven't always been as we as holy as we think we are right now maybe we haven't always glowed in the dark because we're so stinking spiritual Maybe we haven't always worshipped as freely as we do right now. Maybe we haven't spent as much, always spent as much time in prayer as we do right now. Maybe it would help us to remember that the experience that those people are experiencing is what we once were so that we recognize and remember that we were loaded down with guilt and shame and we ran for grace and we found it. See, I think it's time to realize that people are running for their lives and we've got to swing the door wide open and we've got to come to this place where we say, come in you who are weary and heavy laden and find rest. I think we got to come to this place again where we swing the door wide open and say, come on in, crack addicts, and find freedom from that addiction. I think we need to swing the gate open wide and say, come on in if you're broken and we'll help you find wholeness. I think we've got to... Throw the door open and say, those of you that have been abused and and neglected and ignored, come on in and we'll make room for you. Come on in. We'll swing the door wide open to a homosexual and say, you know what? You come in here and you'll find out who you really are. We'll swing the door open and say, come on in. You're dirty and you're messy. But if you get in here, we can help you find cleansing because that's who we used to be. And we understand. And here's the part where you'll, you'll amen me all day on all that until I say this. we got to come to this place where we open the door, allow them to come in, but then allow them to move into your neighborhood. Come sit by me. Nobody else is talking to you. You're all lonely sitting by yourself. Don't smell just right. got to be something wrong. Come set by me. Come set by my kids. Whew. Come be a part of the circle of my friends, even though you say things you shouldn't say when you shouldn't say them. Even though I feel like sticking my fingers in my kids' ears because I'm scared to death, you might say something I'm going to be embarrassed about, and we don't talk like that at my house, but that's all right. You were guilty, and I'm allowing you to move in and i'll and i'll I'll deal with it and we'll we'll do some instruction, but that's all i I understand that you need grace. you're guilty. I was guilty. we were all guilty. Move into my neighborhood, become my friend. Let me ask you this question this morning and we're going to finish here. Who will you refuse to give up on? The Bible says, I read it to you, it says, If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive. Who will you refuse to give up on? See, I'm just convinced as a church that we've surrendered the hungry to welfare. And we've surrendered the sick to the hospitals. And we've surrendered the mentally ill to the crazy houses. And we've surrendered the weird weird to the clubs. And we've surrendered the, the, the angry to the, to the gangs. And we've surrendered the broken to the therapists. We've surrendered everybody. And we've refused to come to this place where we will stand and say, you know what? I refuse to give up on you. So my question for you this morning is this. Who... Will you refuse to quit on? Who in your life, okay, we've got to bring this practical. What five people in your life do you know that you rub shoulders with, that you have a relationship with, that are not saved, that you would say, you know what, I'm going to keep asking you to come to church, and I'm going to keep telling you about Jesus, and I'm going to keep praying on, for you, and I'm going to keep weeping for you, and I'm going to stay up late at night and hit my knees for you, because I recognize that if I give up on you, you have no hope. Or are they so far gone that it's too late? I want you to stand with me this morning. Why must we become the city? Because people are running for their lives. They need safety. Why must we become the city? Because they need our Savior. If we really believe what Jesus said, which he said this, No man gets to the Father but through me. I am the gate. I am the way. I am the truth. That's what he said about himself. We either actually believe that or we're blowing smoke. If we really believe that, then we would recognize the fact they don't need Allah and they don't need Buddha, and they don't need Harry Krishna, and they don't need anybody but one person. They need Jesus, and that truth ought to drive us to our knees because guess who's got him? We do. And we've got to come to this place where we refuse to give up on people. Father, I pray this morning you would penetrate our hearts. You would break our hearts for those that are in pain, for those that are running for their lives we would become sensitive to that fact and we would do our part to make sure that we get them to you. Father, I bring you our movers today. These people that are dying and going to hell, some of them just gradually break our hearts. God, when we come to church on Sunday and we have an empty seat in our car, I pray that we would become convicted. I pray that we would feel so convicted that we have missed an opportunity to fit other people. God, I pray that when we walk into this building or into the Bethany campus, and we sit down and there are nine other chairs around us, our heart would be broken. And we would literally put faces in those chairs. And you would begin to pinpoint people that you have put us in relationship with. That we have influence over. That we could do our part. And there's a very high likelihood that they would give their heart and life to you. But we've surrendered and given up because it seemed difficult and hard. I pray that you would challenge us this morning. And that when we come to church and there's an empty chair around us, it would break our hearts we would realize that there's still work to do and there's still lives that need to be impacted God I bring our movers to you if we would see our movers save God we wouldn't have a chair to spare I pray Jesus you would touch our movers and you would cause them to surrender their heart to you give us the right words give us the right moment give us the right thing to say that would penetrate their hard hearts and cause them to want you as much as you want them Father, I pray that you would allow us to learn how to be in the wrong place at the right time. The wrong place may be at work. That's not the right place. to, Oh, yeah, it's the wrong place, but we're there at the right time. God, school might seem like the wrong place with everything that's going on around us, but it's actually the wrong place at the right time. You've sent us there as ambassadors. Let us see ourselves as missionaries. The supermarket going through the line. I can't hold this line up to tell them about Jesus, it's the wrong place, but I'm there at the right time. Jesus, I pray. Crush our hearts again with compassion. I'm calling for the spirit of intercession to rise up in my people. I'm calling for the spirit of travail to rise up in my people, where in the privacy of their own home they will weep and cry out for their city and for their neighbors and for their friends and for their family. We refuse to surrender those that belong to us. Father, I pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name, every head bowed, every eye closed, two calls this morning. If you're here and you do not know Jesus, I want to say this to you. You need a Savior. More than you need anything else in life, you've got to know Him. He can rescue you. He can change your life forever. If you're here and you say, Steve, I need Jesus. I want Him to be the Lord of my life this morning. And today is my day. Would you just quickly raise your hand and pull it back down? We will not embarrass you. We will simply pray. Is there one? I'm going to trust by that, that every one of you who is a Christian this morning and know Christ is your personal Savior, then I want us to pray this this morning. Would you just, every one of us, would we raise a hand right now and just say this to the Lord in your own way? Jesus, I pray you would give me a heart of compassion again. Soften my heart for those that don't know you. Help me not to ever miss an opportunity. When you open a door, when you make a way, as nervous as I am and as uneasy as I I seem to be in that moment, I pray that a spirit of boldness would come over me and I would speak your truth and I would love them into your kingdom. And then I would love them into staying in your kingdom. Father, I pray for every hand that's raised, every person that has their hand raised right now. I pray in Jesus' name, their focus would once once again become the high priest and what he's done for us. It's the greatest message we could ever have. Don't let us grow tired of that message. Don't let us take that message for granted. Let us share it with those that we come into contact with in Jesus' name. And everybody said Man, you're free to go this morning. Thank you for being here. God bless you. Love on somebody. Fellowship for just a few moments and get you a hamburger and a hot dog.